Hi, I'm Kristen Hodgden, an IVF mom, proud fertility advocate, and co-founder of Rescripted. Welcome to Dear Infertility, the first ever podcast that doubles as an advice column for fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss. This season, we're going back to our roots, highlighting personal fertility stories from those who have been there through IVF, egg freezing, donor conception, surrogacy, and more. Now let's dive in and work towards ending the stigma around fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Mackenzie Purdy, reproductive endocrinologist at KindBody. Did you know that endometriosis affects about 10% of reproductive aged women? This condition may make it harder to become pregnant. Visit kindbody.com backslash rescripted to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Dear Infertility. I'm your host, Kristen, and I'm here with Sarah Heron. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So good to finally chat with you and meet you in person. I know. Virtually. We're Instagram friends, but yes, so happy to have you here. For those of you who don't know Sarah, um, she's internationally recognized as Sarah from The Bachelor, but to us, Sarah Heron is better known for her adventurous and vulnerable Instagram posts. Born and raised in Colorado, today she is a self-proclaimed outdoor enthusiast and storyteller and is currently expecting her first child with her fiance, Dylan. Congratulations. Thank you. I know so many feelings around it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I've been there. So how yeah. are you feeling? Oh my gosh. Kind of depends on the hour <laughs> if I'm being honest, but I feel really good right now. I feel great today. I'm also recovering from a broken leg or my knee. I broke my knee a couple months ago, actually like the same day I found out I was pregnant. So it's been serious roller coaster for the last two months. I'm sure. Well, I mean, that'll be a good story to tell your future baby. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll be like, we were so excited about you. I just, mommy went out and broke her leg over it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to kind of go back and just, mm-hmm. can you tell us in your sort of own words, like your brief overview of your path to, to getting to this point? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure like every woman, it's not so brief, right? But I will (laughs) try to summarize it. Essentially, my now fiance, he was just my boyfriend at the time, Dylan. We decided, you know, we'd been together for about four years and we knew we wanted to spend our lives together and wanted to start trying for a family. So we tried giving it a go for about seven months with no luck. I mean, nothing. Like I was ovulating perfectly, but it just wasn't working out. So I went in, got my fertility tested, turned out I had diminished ovarian reserve. And it was suggested to me that I immediately start IVF. IUI wasn't even really an option. My gynecologist was just like, you should just go straight to IVF. So it was really hard to receive that news so fast. It just kind of like hits you like a ton of bricks. And I got a referral to a few different doctors, scheduled my consultations. And before I knew it, I was starting IVF medication. I've now been through three egg retrievals and two transfers. During the process, Dylan and I found out we're both carriers of cystic fibrosis. Wow! So that threw an added wrench into the genetic testing of our embryos. And I've had... One, my first transfer resulted in a chemical pregnancy and my second transfer was successful. 
So that's where we are. I hope that was brief enough. <laughs> no, we, it didn't have to be super brief, but because sometimes it's not and, that, yeah. and that's how it goes. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. I feel like I've had a chemical pregnancy and it's, I hate that term even because it's like you're pregnant and then you weren't and mm-hmm. that really sucks. So how was, yeah. I mean, how was going through three rounds of IVF? I mean, it's... And, it and was, finding out about the cystic fibrosis. Yeah. Was it through the genetic carrier screening that you found that out? Yeah. So we decided to do the genetic carrier screening like two days before waiting for our, like while our eggs were fertilizing, you know, we were waiting on the results still. Oh, wow. So we didn't even know when I went in for the egg retrieval that we were both carriers of this. And then Dr. Amy Avazade, my fertility doctor, she suggested we should do the, she suggested we should do the genetic carrier screening while we were waiting for the egg retrieval results. And that's when we found out we both had cystic fibrosis and it was like, came out of nowhere. We had no idea. Wow. I don't have any family members who've ever been affected by it. Dylan has one cousin who's been affected by it, but it just never, it certainly never crossed his mind. I don't think he was really thinking of that. And I never knew his cousin, so it never occurred to me either. And so thank God got for Dr. Those... Amy, right? <laughs> I know. I know. She was I just like, met oh her gosh. this week, actually. We were at ASRM, the big fertility conference out in Anaheim. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like you're a celebrity and I'm so excited to meet <laughs> I know. Isn't she amazing? She is. She's I know. She's just the coolest lady ever. I, I love her. And she's been so kind and generous and like has invited me into her house when I've been out in California by myself. She just makes me feel like family. So yeah, we found out about the cystic fibrosis and that has just affected the number of chromosomally normal Mm -hmm. embryos that we had. So what would have been like, I think originally seven or eight chromosomally normal embryos, four or five of them were affected by the cystic fibrosis. And so that was just like a pretty big hit, you know, like we weren't expecting that. How did that feel? Like just knowing that you had such, I mean, do you feel like it was sort of a silver lining to IVF? The fact that you were able to find all that out and. Yeah. Like we kind of felt like the universe maybe brought us to Dr. Amy because we needed to find out about the cystic fibrosis. Like clearly we had no idea and, and you can't help, but kind of, you know, the mind is a meaning making machine. And so you can't help, but wonder if like, Oh my gosh, well, maybe that's why we couldn't get pregnant all along. You just don't know. And so it was like a added punch to the gut, but, uh, you know, we were grateful to be in the position that we were. And Dr. Amy was very committed to like, well, don't worry, like we'll get you the number of embryos that you'll need for the size of the family you want. So we kind of just embraced early on that it was going to take probably multiple egg retrievals and multiple attempts. Yeah. And then how many embryos were healthy embryos did you have before you decided to move on to a transfer? We did our first transfer when we actually had five or I think we had six embryos banked. And so we were like, let's move forward with one transfer. And at the time, Dr. Amy thought that potentially I had endometriosis, but of course we couldn't confirm it. I had done the receptiva test Mm -hmm. and had a positive score on it. So we had some like signs and symptoms of endometriosis, but couldn't confirm it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so when the first transfer was unsuccessful, Dr. Amy said, I really want to revisit the conversation of endometriosis because I think that could have played a role in the implantation trouble. Mm -hmm. So we decided let's move forward with as many more egg retrievals as it takes to like secure our bank, (laughs) fill our bank, and then we'll treat the endometriosis. So I immediately did two back-to-back egg retrievals, which were brutal. (laughs) Like I know when you're experiencing infertility and you're going through IVF treatments, you want to just kind of like power through it. And you're like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. But two back-to-back retrievals was really, really hard on my body. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting it to be as hard as it was. Did you have to travel to California every time? Yes. So I go out to see Dr. Amy for every retrieval, transfer, biopsy. It's been a lot, (laughs) a lot of travel, but I just feel like I'm in the best hands. And so it's worth it. Yeah. But yeah, it's been a, been a year. Yeah. I, it's, it's such a catch 22 because you do fertility feels very time sensitive. You want to power through, but sometimes, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes even if you're like physically, okay, mentally you're struggling or vice versa. So totally it's definitely a roller coaster for sure. Yeah. And even after those two egg retrievals, like you said, I was very like, okay, let's move forward with the transfer. Like we got them or time is sensitive, but I was kind of forced to just pause because I had to wait for that endometriosis surgery. Then I had to wait to heal from the surgery. So it was like, I was put on a mandatory seven month wait. Mm -hmm. And honestly, at the end of that time period, I felt so good. I felt like I was me again. I felt like I had my body back. And it's just like, if I could offer anyone an advice now, I'm like, take the time to recharge in between cycles, because you may not realize it in the moment. But like when I finally had time to step away from IVF, I just felt like such a better person. I felt like me again. The fog lifts, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's where I'm at right now. I spent a year trying for a third baby, did four transfers, two miscarriages, two failed implantations. And then I was like, you know what? I just need a break. And I'm like, you're sort of on autopilot. And then when you come out of it, you're like, oh, this is actually who I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so all consuming that your brain just doesn't have room for anything else. And then you go on a break and it's like, yeah, you have hobbies again or. Exactly. And I also (laughs) feel like it's very easy for you to start to feel like the IVF becomes your identity in a little sense of it, because it's like, you are so consumed by it that then when you take a break, you're like, oh, I'm not doing anything IVF right now. Like, who am I? What do I do with my time again? And you, it's just like the things we do for our fertility, but it is, it's very consuming. It is. What was the hardest part through all of that? I like, think, was it physically? Was it emotionally? Yeah, I do. I felt like the first, you know, I was going to say, I feel like the first transfer, it was more emotional and then the next, but really, I think I struggled with, the body changes the most like bad news is so disappointing, but I feel grateful. I have an amazing partner and support system and I'm in therapy and I felt like well-prepared to get through hard times, but like the body changes are real. (laughs) And 
and especially as someone who's recovered from disordered eating, like when you start to see your body change again, like those voices get really loud and it's really uncomfortable to sit in that. So I would say that was the hardest, especially with my first transfer. Like I questioned for a while, like, I don't even know if I can be pregnant. Like the ED voices were just so loud that I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And does Dr. Amy, did she have any theories as to why the first transfer didn't work after the endosurgery? So the first transfer was before endometriosis surgery. Oh, okay. So then the first transfer worked after the surgery? Yes, correct. Oh, wow. So first transfer did not work. Then I had endosurgery. Okay. Yep, yep. And And then I did a second transfer and it was successful. And also with the second transfer, we implemented Lovenox, mm-hmm. which we didn't do the first transfer. So I think that probably played a role. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I could yeah. probably theorize for days, but. Well, and I should I ask, so did they find anything during the surgery? So they found stage one endo on my ovaries, okay. which was like. You know, you kind of, in a way, go into the surgery hoping, like, I hope they find stage four and that's going to explain why I've had infertility. And like, you just hope you're going to get answers. Not that I would ever wish stage four endometriosis on anyone, you know, but you hope that it's going to give you some sort of validation. And so when I woke up and they said, we found stage one, you're kind of like, well, I'm glad because that's validating And to hear that it was on my ovaries is validating because that could have been impacting egg quality. But you're like, well, that doesn't really explain anything in my uterus. So it kind of like didn't really answer the questions, but it gave me a little bit of clarity. And truly, I won't know. I haven't had like my AMA tree tested since the surgery. I would be very curious to test that. But, you know, I hope it had something to do with it. But I don't want to say like, I just hate to send people off on this path. That's like, you know, like surgery is intensive. And if it can be avoided, I would recommend it. But if it truly can like course correct your infertility, then it's worth Mm -hmm. it. But surgery is very invasive. So yeah, endometriosis is tricky in general, because it's technically the only way to officially diagnose it is through Mm -hmm. surgery. But I mean, there are some things that can be done like Lupron, I know can help Mm -hmm. like suppress your system if you have endometriosis before a transfer. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. What was the reasoning for Dr. Amy kind of setting you off on that path? Why did she suspect that you had it? Well, because we did the Receptiva DX test as just like precaution like Dr. Amy likes to test you for everything (laughs) like let's just throw all the paint on the wall and see what sticks and I like that that. because so much of fertility is reactive versus proactive Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's like after three failed transfers then you finally start getting testing and yeah you know if you could just know I know not everyone has access to care and that's a whole other issue and insurance coverage but yeah if you can do it why not get answers kind of sooner rather than Yeah, that's kind of how how we felt too, is we were like, we'd rather just front load everything if we could rather than, because if you go through multiple failed transfers, like that adds up too financially. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, and then also I have a retroverted uterus. And so Mm -hmm. I've always experienced pain during intercourse. But other than that, like I didn't really have any endo symptoms. I have a heavy first day flow and that's about it. So it was kind of like, 
you tested positive BCL6, but like there aren't enough symptoms. So it was kind of just a gray area, but it was enough that then after the first transfer didn't work that we were like, okay, let's try. And at this point I actually had already reached my insurance deductible. So like I basically had the endo surgery for free. I mean, not free, but right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. (laughs) Had to pay the anesthesiologist and that was it. (laughs) Oh, I know. I feel like, and then you get like bills two months later. (laughs) I know. I'll probably get a bill in February once my insurance has renewed and they're like, here's your bill for that surgery. (laughs) (laughs) We heard you on a podcast say that it was free. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're coming for me. Yeah. (laughs) So you spoke a little bit about having a supportive partner. How has IVF and everything you've been through sort of affected your relationship? This is such a good question. I mean, if anything, I definitely think it's strengthened our relationship, strengthened our bond. I feel so much more connected to Dylan. And I think there's just like, we're learning, you know, it's the hardest thing our relationship has ever been put through. We're not married yet. We're engaged now, but it's the hardest thing we've ever had to go through. And so it's showing us our true colors and who we are and how we can show up and support each other. But it's also taken its toll. Like, infertility takes a toll on your intimacy. It takes a toll on, you know, like sometimes being able to connect emotionally or intimately. Sometimes you're just burnout, like the burnout from infertility and IVF treatments like seeps into other areas of your life. So it's strengthened us in deep, meaningful ways. And it's also strained our intimacy and connection at times that you know, I'm like, it shouldn't be like this. We're only six years into our relationship, but that's just kind of the reality of it. Yeah. It's definitely very stressful. And I remember someone, a close friend of ours, like was having relationship troubles while we were going through infertility. And I was like, if you guys are fighting over that before you're even like, what happens if you have real, real, he was like genuinely coming to me, asking me for advice. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I think if you guys are having these problems now it's like what happens if you were to go through something like that like just puts things into perspective yeah I feel like Dylan and I could get through anything together now having Mm -hmm. been through this and also the surprising thing was like learning that Dylan processes things in his own way too like it's not just about me it's not just comforting and soothing me it's like Dylan is he's experiencing his own world of emotions also and so I have to understand that and show up for him too, which I've never been in a relationship like this long or to that, you know, degree. And so that's been a learning curve for me as well. Mm-hmm. But it's been, I, I mean, I hate to say like, oh, infertility has been great for our relationship, but it has strengthened us. That's great. Were you always sort of open with family and friends about your journey or did you kind of hit a point where you started opening up more? I've always been an open book in any chapter of my life regarding anything. And so when I found out about the diminished ovarian reserve, I will never forget that day. The way the doctor tells you just, or at least for me, my experience felt so like kind of dismissive, like here's your situation. Here's a pamphlet. That's exactly what happened like, to me. Good luck. I yeah. got a PCOS pamphlet and was sent, and was sent home like, oh, <laughs> this yeah. is probably what's going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what questions to ask. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I wasn't prepared for that at all. I thought she was going to be like, let's get you started on, I don't know what the medications they use for a couple rounds, you know, like um, ovulation and yeah. Clomid, letrozole. Yep. Yeah. So I thought like we'd go to that step first. And so it just felt like almost like a terminal diagnosis. Like it just, because also my worldview at the time was so small around infertility that I just didn't know anything. I didn't know any better. And so I was like, well, this can't be possible. Like all I know of IVF is that it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's for like women in their forties. Like that sounds so small minded now that I know, but like at the time I was like, this can't be true. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened and I had processed it, I was just like, I want to be able to now use my platform to let other women going through this know that it's not a terminal diagnosis. Like it's not, you know, there is community. There are so many people out there who are also experiencing what you're experiencing. I just wanted to like normalize the conversation around infertility because clearly like my perception was so skewed and so far off. I just wanted to help change that for other people. What was the reaction when you sort of went public with your journey on Instagram? It was very well received. You know, so many people were like telling me their stories, strangers and people that I know and have worked with and had very intimate friendships with came out of the woodworks being like, yeah, our little, you know, Josie, or I don't know, I'm making that name up, was an IVF baby. And I had no idea, like literally so many women that I worked with back in the office setting told me that they had done IVF and I never knew while we were working together. And so it just occurred to me, like how many women do need fertility support and how much more normal it is than I had thought. And so it was just comforting. It was reassuring. I even had like my own cousin, you know, tell me that she had to do IVF and I had no idea. And then that made me kind of sad that also so many women, you know, have kept it private and I respect everyone's decision, but it's also kind of sad to think that it's something that they had to go through alone. And I wish I could have been there for them when they were going through it. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when you open up about something, it's always like, oh, no way, me too. And then you're like, wait, I could have opened up about this sooner. Or, you know, why are so many people feeling like they can't talk about this? Yeah. So what advice would you give someone who's kind of just starting out on this journey? I think the advice I would give someone is honestly to like I said earlier, to pace yourself, to have grace with the timeline. I know there's that urge to feel like, like we mentioned earlier, time is of the essence. I must keep chugging along. I understand that urge, but if I could offer anyone advice, it's just to like slow down and let things have a beat, you know, let things kind of process the way that they're supposed to process. And secondly, it would be to develop or form some sort of care team, whether that's a therapist, a good friend, finding an online community to Mm -hmm. tap into. But I would recommend at least three outlets that you can connect to because that's that's just like helped me feel not so alone. And I do belong to a lot of Facebook groups and it's just (laughs) like, you don't even have to engage if you don't want, just read them. I just like read people's posts and it makes you feel not as alone. Yeah, absolutely. At Rescripted, we have like our own feed on our platform where you can kind of go off because some people don't even want to 
like like posts on social media because they don't want mm-hmm. anyone to see that they liked infertility accounts. So yeah. we kind of took it off of traditional social media and there's a feed of about like 10,000, maybe 11,000 women now where you can kind of meet other people who get it and filter by diagnosis and all that fun stuff. Because even if you're not open with, like I've met people in our support groups who are super engaged in the community outreach scripted, but they like haven't even told their mom that they're going through mm-hmm. IVF, which is totally fine. Like as long as you have your you know, support systems in place, whether it's therapy or whatever it is. Yeah, I know the Facebook groups or Reddit groups, or I don't know, I'm not on Reddit, but you know, like wherever you can find those pages, I think are just a wealth of knowledge. You can find strength in numbers. You can find comfort in shared experiences. I think it's just critical. Like you're not going through it alone. You shouldn't feel like you're going through it alone. Absolutely. And the same goes for like all of women's health. Basically, it's like Mm -hmm. even people that don't struggle with infertility who have endo, it can take up to seven and a half years to get diagnosed with endo. And like they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, my painful periods are totally normal because the doctor told me once that they're totally normal. And actually, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Basically, I was what I always say, like you don't know how to advocate for yourself unless you engage in educating yourself or or learning more. Yes, exactly. So I always like to ask this towards the end of the podcast, but I would say our company's name is Rescripted. So what would you rescript about how people think about infertility or pregnancy loss? To continue what I was just saying is I would rescript the like stigma around it. And I would just try to shine light on how many women are affected by infertility and normalize it, that it's more women than you think. There's support. There's friends to be had. What's the saying? Everyone says it's like the worst club with the best members. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've been yeah. saying like it, it takes a village to raise, they say it takes a village to raise a child, but sometimes it takes a village to create one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No need to suffer in silence. There's a whole community out there, even if you're not comfortable sharing. So, well, thank you, Sarah. This was so awesome getting to know you better and learning about your journey to baby and I'm so happy for you and your pregnancy and thank you all of the good things <laughs> thank you yeah it's a great stage of it to be in and I think the number one thing like I feel so connected to the IVF community and infertility community and sometimes I feel like there might feel be this like sense of like detachment or estrangement or even like abandonment when a transfer is successful for someone. And then it's like, oh, well, she's not really in the club anymore. And I just want people to know that I'm still in it with women and I'll be in it on this side for everyone. Because once you've experienced it, like that doesn't go away. You're like in the club forever. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. And I think people don't even realize like if you want like two or three kids, like it's always sort of in the back of your mind. And so it's just not as, it's not like this like carefree thing where it's like, Oh, I want, like, I always like, I I want three three kids, you know, like, but now I'm like, can I even have three kids? So it's like kind of affects your whole family building journey. Not just Mm -hmm. not to scare you. You're on your first pregnancy, but like, it's like, you're always a part of that club because you have embryos and that are frozen and like they're there and they're it's like the door is not closed does that make sense right exactly so 
it'll be uh, yeah I don't know we'll <laughs> see where the road goes and how many we'll have but yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah living in the present and yeah uh, you are still part of the club I assure you I feel like it never really leaves you and in, in yeah that, for better or worse and I think as a parent it is for the better because you really like are grateful for getting to that other side and all yeah. that it took to get there you know exactly <laughs> Well, you put it in better words than I did, but thank you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it's all complicated, but all for a good reason. And I'm super excited for you. When are, when are you, you due? May 17th. Awesome. So a little spring baby. That'll be a great time of year for getting outside. That's, that's <laughs> what I keep saying. Like, that's like the best time for birthdays because it's like not summer break yet. So everyone's still, you know, like I used to think about those things when I was a kid because my birthday was usually like around right before winter break. And so people would like go away for winter break and could never have birthday parties. <laughs> it's nice too, because like when you go through infertility, you like take it where you can get it. Yeah. Like you could never plan. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is cool. Like it just worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. In the beginning, you're like, I'm going to be due. And then in the end, you're like, I just want a baby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for sharing your story and so great meeting you. And thank you. Keep in touch and we'll chat soon. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Dear Infertility. We hope it left you feeling more educated and empowered about your reproductive and sexual health. Whatever you're currently struggling with, Rescripted is here to hold your hand every step of the way. If you liked today's episode and want to stay up to date on our podcast, don't forget to click subscribe. And to join Rescripted's free fertility support community, head to rescripted.com.